0: Good morning everyone and a very warm welcome to Hill Head at the Grove. Now, uh, A very special welcome this morning to Carolyn and Todd Still who worshipped with us here back in I think 1992 uh, while Todd was uh, studying at Glasgow University for his PhD. Um, he has gone on to great things, he's now Dean of the Truett Seminary at Baylor University in Texas and Professor of Christian Scriptures there, so his Glasgow University education has stood him in good stead. (laughs) Todd is going to be our guest preacher this morning and we are delighted that you could fit us in on this visit. Please stay and have a cup of tea or coffee with us after this service and take the chance to catch up with Carolyn and Todd if you also worshipped here back in 1992. Uh, During this service, all being well, we will welcome Johan into membership She's not here yet, but she is dependent on public transport. So um, we hope to welcome Johan into membership of our church. And as you can see, we will also celebrate communion. And as always, everyone who's trying to follow Jesus is invited to take part. But if for any reason you
1: would rather. Thank you, Anne. The call to worship comes from Psalm 145 and is just some selected verses. The Lord is good to all, he has compassion on all he has made. The Lord is faithful in all his promises and loving towards all he has made. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all that he has made. The Lord is near to all who call him, to all who call on him in truth. And our opening hymn of worship celebrates the call of Christ on us the God who in Christ calls all of us and who welcomes all of us nobody is excluded from the love of God as revealed to us in Christ Jesus and so if we're able we're invited to stand as we sing Jesus calls us here to meet him We come to God with our prayers of adoration and confession. And after I have guided us in prayer, we will, of course, join together in the family prayer, the prayer Jesus taught his followers in whichever language and form feels the most normal and natural for us. So let's pray together. Compassionate, faithful and righteous God, we gather to offer you our worship and praise, to confess our sins and failings, to receive your forgiveness and to find the encouragement we need to continue to walk in the footsteps of Christ Jesus our Lord. We marvel at the mystery that you are the gods in whom we live and move and have our being. And that you are the God who knows us by name and holds us safely in your everlasting arms. We marvel that in the unfathomable enormity of the universe you are interested in the lives of creatures who live on a small planet hidden away in one star system of one galaxy among an infinite multitude. It is too much. It blows our minds. So we are humbled and moved to wonder as we discover the stories of your love for us expressed in the life of a peasant preacher 2,000 years ago. In Jesus, we meet someone just like us who knows hunger and thirst sorrow and joy, anger and laughter and indeed every human emotion possible. And this is simply incredible, our minds are blown once again. Thank you loving, saving, holy God that we don't need to understand Rather, you call us and welcome us just as we are, with all of our limitations, all of our imperfections, and even with all of our flawed attitudes. Thank you that you long to restore all that is lost and broken, to renew our hearts, our minds, and our lives filling us with love, hope and compassion so that we might walk more closely in the footsteps of Jesus, who taught those who wished to follow him this pattern of prayer, in which we now join our voices, saying together, Our Father, Father, who art right in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. heaven. It looks like first bus might have let us down, but not to worry. If Johan makes it, we will welcome her later on in the service. It would have been lovely to do it at this point when we are all together because we like to do this as as part of a celebration that we are all in the church together, no matter what age we are. So this is me thinking on my feet, making something up as I go along. We were planning and we still hope to bring Johan into what we call covenanted membership of our community here today. So I wonder if we could just think for a couple of minutes about those two words, covenant and membership. Because they're words that we use quite freely as adults and as leaders in the church, but we don't always have the time to stop and think about them. So let's start with covenant. Anybody of any age got a thought of what covenant might mean or an example of a covenant that could be made it doesn't have to be a church covenant or a spiritual covenant it could be another covenant a A, a commitment or a contract thank you Ken good that's got us started that's great so a, a covenant is an expression of commitment and it can be a bit like a contract in that there are sort of agreements between different parties that's great thank you anybody else? Um, Got any thoughts about Covenant? Graham?
2: I remember a distinguished minister (coughs) once coming down to address the children, holding the Bible, and he got them to say there were two parts to the Bible, two testaments. What does that mean? Covenant.
1: Yep, so two testaments, which could be two witnesses, or two covenants, and we're not get into all the theology of the two covenant theory because... Well, that would just be too much, but thank you, Graham. Yes, we have covenants in Scripture. The Bible is the best way for us to learn about the covenants with God. Thank you. And, of course, some of those covenants... Um, anybody remember the story of Noah? And what was the symbol that was used in the story of Noah as a sign of the covenant, the promise between God and people? The rainbow. The rainbow. So the rainbow is a sign of a covenant. There's a covenant with Moses as the people were led out of... Of Egypt, so there was a two-way promise between God and Moses and all the people. Now, who in this congregation is married? See, everybody who is married has entered a covenant. That's the language that's actually used when people marry. Marry each other. You make a covenant with the other person. you say, "I'll be there for you and I'll be there for you. I'll, I'll share everything I have with you, and I'll share everything I have with you." It's a very precious thing, a marriage covenant. And that's why often we will do it in the context of Christian worship because we we sort of want to make it obvious that we're bringing God into it. You can't keep God out of it by not doing it in a Christian way, but we do that. Um, Is anybody old enough to remember what we had before gift aid? And you used to do the seven-year covenants on your tax. Anybody apart from me remember that? I, I remember when I was very young and first working and it was a covenant and... I remember I, I was just about leaving home and the person from church came round to see us. And my mum, who wasn't a church member, was a bit suspicious about this covenant thing. That I was signing up to give my money to the church for seven years. Seven years, I think, even though it was a secular thing, was tied to the biblical concept of, of seven um, and those sort of cycles. So that's covenant. It's a promise to two ways. What about membership? What do we think we mean by Membership. Belonging, yep, it's about belonging, isn't it? It's about being part of something. So, you, you obviously, we're all members of our church here, whether we formally covenanted or not. Um, we'll not get into the complications of the differences, but membership is about belonging, and that's why we bless babies when they're little, and we, we'll be having one of those sometime in the future, which we're all looking forward. Ailey's nodding at me. Um, we bless marriages. We bless people as they come into membership, and, of course, at the end of life, when somebody dies... we we share in that because we all belong together. So I'm going to shut up now because I'm kind of getting into waffly mode but um, if Johan makes it we will do that covenant with her later on in the service if she doesn't we'll do it at our next communion service but what we are going to do is we're going to sing the hymn that she chose which is one of those good old hymns of commitment just as I am without one plea and if you're able you're invited to stand as we sing together.
3: Our first reading this morning comes from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes, it, makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him, and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried, and was heard by the Lord, and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good, happy are those who take refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his holy ones, for those who fear him have have no want. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Which of you desires life and covets many days to enjoy good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his eyes and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord rescues them from them all he keeps all their bones not one of them will be broken evil brings death to the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned the lord redeems the life of his servants none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned the second reading the second reading is from philippians chapter 4 verse 4 to 9 the apostle paul writes rejoice in the lord always whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learnt and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you.
1: It's privilege and pleasure to welcome Todd to come and preach for us this morning. Do you want to come and I'll briefly pray for you? It's quite a nice thing to do if we've got a visiting preacher actually to pray for them before they, you face my scary congregation. They're actually a really lovely congregation, they're very, but they're very intense. They will listen to every word you say. Trust me, but uh, it's lovely to have you with us. So let's just pray briefly. Loving God, God we do thank you for Todd. We thank you for the time he spent in Glasgow all those years ago and the way that you have been leading and guiding him in his work over the years since. And now as he brings us the message he's prepared from your teaching to us in Scripture, we ask that our hearts and our minds will be open to learn from him and to listen for you. Amen.
4: Thank you, Pastor, and thank you for this opportunity and occasion to worship with you this morning. Nearly 27 years ago now, uh, Carolyn and I had arrived in Glasgow so that I might pursue a PhD in New Testament studies uh, in the department. And uh, Hillhead was where we lived. Hillhead uh, 50, by the way, flat 1-2, still vividly recall it and uh, Hillhead Baptist Church was for us a family at that point in time. As it happens, we would go on to pastor the Uddingston Baptist Church. So we did not continue to worship, but it had uh, nothing to do with the congregation. Uh, it had everything to do with the fact that Uddingston uh, uh, was willing to allow me to inflict myself upon them uh, for a couple of years' time before we transitioned back to the States. It is a joy to be with you on what is Transfiguration Sunday as we lean and look forward uh, to Lent. One other personal word, it would have been impossible for me to have anticipated that a fellow PhD graduate in 1996, uh, Dr. Andrew Haas, would be a member of this congregation, uh, far be it from either of us to have ever have known that we would have been 1-2 uh, in the Ph.D. order uh, that summer commencement. Truth is stranger than fiction. This morning I would like to direct our attention to one of the texts that was read for us earlier, namely uh, Philippians 4. As it happens, this will be the text that uh, a class that I'm teaching this turn with Dr. Sean Adams will also consider tomorrow afternoon. In particular, what I want to do is I want to focus our thoughts on four words. It's actually three words in Greek, but four words rendered in English. Ha kurios ingus, the Lord is near. Paul says, let your gentleness, or perhaps forbearance, be made manifest, be made known be clear to everyone, not only to insiders, but also to outsiders. And he grounds this admonition in an unshakable conviction. The Lord is near. We sometimes will say one to another, the Lord be with you and also with you. This is driven by a commitment, a conviction that... The Lord is near us. But if we were to ask Paul, Paul, when you say the Lord is near, that can at least mean one of two things. So what are you actually confessing? The Lord is near. Paul believed that the Lord was near temporally. Did he not? Earlier in this letter, he can say that our commonwealth is in heaven from where we await a savior who shall change the body of our humiliation into the body of his glory by the power that he has to subject all things even unto himself. Throughout Paul's letters, he holds the holy hope that Jesus is coming sooner than later, that he's right around the chronological corner. So by saying the Lord is near, he might well be saying that the Lord is near. Closer than when we first believed. I'm not so sure we think about that as much as we might have in the past. But it certainly is part and parcel of the Christian confession that Jesus shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Early believers could say collectively, Maranatha, our Lord, come. So by saying the Lord is near, Paul might well mean that the Lord is near temporally. I happen to think, however, that where his focus falls here is that the Lord is near spatially. That the Lord is as near as our very breath. In Romans 10, Paul can say that the word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. Certainly throughout the sweep of scripture, the Lord's presence, though unseen, more real than any other, is a constant comfort and refrain. In the beginning, God brooded over the deep. With the couple was in the garden when they lost their way and we lost our way. As Katrina has said, there is the promise of God's presence even in the rainbow. When Abram was in Ur of Chaldees, Abram, I will be with you. Your descendants will outnumber sand on shore and stars in sky. To Jacob who shall become Israel, even as he wrestled with God. He knew of God's nearness. And for Joseph, even though he found himself in pit, he could say at the end of it all, when they still knew Joseph, that what they may have intended for evil, you intended for good. So is also true for Moses as God appears to Moses in a burning bush and says go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Moses says, if I'm to go to Pharaoh to say, let my people go, it might be a good idea that I know who is telling me to do so. And God said, tell Pharaoh that I am who I shall be is sending you. And so the people of Israel knew God's presence Be it a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. It was true for Elijah. Not so much that God would reveal God's self in a mighty rushing wind or in some kind of pyrotechnic display, but that God would reveal God's self in a still, small voice but, unmistakably, God's voice. What was true for a priest was true for the prophets. Isaiah, in the year of King Uzziah's death, saw the Lord, lofty, where the train of his robe filled the temple. But Isaiah didn't have a corner on God's presence. It was also known by Jeremiah, even from the time he was a youth, grasped by God, called by God. Ezekiel knew him as a wheel within a wheel, or was it when the Lord's spirit was able to breathe breath into those dry bones? Daniel knew him in the flame. And yes, in the din, throughout the whole of Scripture, perhaps most powerfully and poetically celebrated in Psalm 139. If I go to heaven, there you are. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there too. Where can I go from your presence? Paul, as he pins this letter to the Philippians from captivity, be it in Ephesus, Caesarea, or Rome, wherever he was, he knew that God was there. So he says to them, and by way of extension to us, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And if we believe that to be true. It changes absolutely everything. Paul can say because the Lord is near we can rejoice. Did you see it rejoice in the Lord always again. I will say it rejoice and he does say it again and again in this little letter in fact 16 times. In the course of Philippians, do you find the word joy and rejoice and rejoice with? And what is true of this letter is meant to be no less true of our lives, that our lives would be laced with joy. This term, I'm in Glasgow because I am serving as a William Barclay Fellow. And I've familiarized myself with Barclay. I've read small biographies. I've read big biographies. And I've especially read his books on Paul because that's my own area of interest. You say, ah, that explains the sermon. Well, at least in part. And Barclay was a communicator and preacher par excellence, and I recall In one of the many pages that I read that Barclay, trying to convey to others, which he did so remarkably well, the depths and the truths of Scripture, said, Joy, think of it this way, Jesus, others, you. Or my junior high definition, junior high means about, I don't know, uh, 12, 13-year-olds. The flag flown from the castle of our hearts, when the king is in residence. Paul and Silas knew what joy was. Here they were, having been beaten with rods, placed into the Philippian jail cell. And before there was an earthquake and before the miracle ever came, they were singing songs in the night because Regardless of their whereabouts, they knew of God's presence. Because the Lord is near, we can rejoice. A.W. Tozier, that famous American preacher of the 20th century, mid-1900s, was able to say that Christians owe it to the world to be supernaturally joyful. The question is, are we paying the debt we owe? The Lord is near. We can rejoice. The Lord is near. We can rest. Right here woven into this text is the admonition. Do not be anxious about anything. Jesus had come to the home of... His friend Lazarus. Mary and Martha were there. Mary, we are told, was seated with the disciples in the circle of instruction, and she was learning as Jesus was teaching. Meanwhile, Martha was worried about offering hospitality to Jesus a very legitimate worry. But Martha gets frustrated with the fact that Mary is not doing her part and says to Jesus, Jesus, would you please tell her to get up and help? And Jesus says tenderly, Martha, Martha, you're worried, you're bothered, you're anxious about so many things. But Mary, she's chosen the better part and it shall not be taken away from her said the sparrow to the robin I would really like to know why those anxious human beings run around and worry so said the robin to the sparrow I guess it must be that they have no Heavenly Father such as cares for you and me the Lord is near we can rejoice we can rest we can rest in his promised presence we can offer prayers We can offer prayers, petition, with thanksgiving, presenting our request to God. Sometimes it may seem as if though the heavens are as brass, but they are not. Because Emmanuel tells us that heaven has come to us, even as Katrina was so powerfully praying. Because the Lord is near, we can rejoice, we can rest. And note that as we pray, we're told that the peace of God will build a garrison, not unlike the walled city of Philippi, which was Rome in miniature. The peace of God will build a garrison around our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And when we know the God of peace who Paul promises will be with us, we can know the peace of God. We can know the peace of God when we know the God of peace. Sometimes Americans like bumper stickers. I really don't actually like bumper stickers. My father would get quite cross with me if he knew I were to have a bumper sticker on my car. Some Americans also tend to wear their faith, and they can even wear their faith on their car. And so they can offer you a sermon on a sticker. Most of these are to be avoided. There is one, however, I like, and I'll just say I like it a good bit. No Jesus, no peace. K N O W Jesus. K-N-O-W peace Paul is saying that he offers us his peace it's a peace that the world cannot give it's a peace in which we can rest the Lord is near rejoice the Lord is near rest the Lord is near we can be resolved do you see Paul says that we are to ponder that which is praiseworthy in fact it has been suggested that perhaps the most comprehensive theme of this little letter is not joy. The most comprehensive theme of this little letter is the mind of Christ, that we would have the habit of mind within ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, and that then we would be renewed in mind. And as Paul comes to the conclusion of this letter, he says... This is that upon which you should ponder. You should resolve to ponder that which is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. Any number of things might qualify as such. But certainly for Paul, the one person who would qualify as worthy of praise is the person who received the name above, which was all names, that every knee in heaven on earth and uh, below the earth shall say to the glory of God, He's Lord. We're also not only to resolve to ponder that which is praiseworthy, but whatever we've learned or received or heard, or seen, were to put into practice. On the heels of this passage, where Paul has promised the Lord's presence, he thanks the Philippians, which is perhaps the primary reason that he's written this little letter in the first instance. And in so doing, he says, I'm delighted that your concern for me has blossomed Again, in these days, I've been living on Beaumont Gardens and the garden flat and I've made my way on any of number of days to these beautiful botanic gardens. I do something akin to running, but I'm largely looking around and enjoying the crocuses and the daffodils that are blooming and blossoming. Paul says, your concern has blossomed for me again. Not that I speak of want, because I know how to abound, I know how to be abased. I have learned the secret of contentment. And the secret of contentment is no secret at all. It's an open secret if it's a secret and here it is that I can do all things through the one who is strengthening me. Mindful of his presence, we can rejoice and we can rest and we can resolve to entrust ourselves to one who is trustworthy, to be faithful to the one who is faithful right up to the point of death, even death on a cross. Amen.
5: i
2: Let us join together in prayer. Gracious God, the turmoil in the world around us, in politics, in society, in international affairs, on our television screens, so often seems to drown out your still small voice. We thank you for the chance of quiet <coughs> reflections as we meet with you in our worship. And remember that you want us to listen for your word to us individually, here. Quicken our hearing, we pray. We remember first the many who, often at great personal cost, carry out the work to which they have heard your call to many parts of the world. BMS World Mission reminds us this week of work in Peru, especially in remote parts of the Amazon region, training pastors in basic theology, teaching them how to look after their land and communities better helping children and adults to access medical care, providing after-school support for students who need it, planning where to dig wells and expand agroforestry farming, strengthening work programs and financial planning. We offer you our prayers for all engaged in such activity. The Baptist Union of Scotland reminds us of workplace chaplaincy in various city and other communities. The Baptist Union Council with its representatives from many of our churches, meets this week in Pitlochry and commends for our prayers, the churches in Campbelltown, in carluke and Cannon Mills in Edinburgh which attracts a number of tourists. In our own congregation we pray for Sylvia as a benefits advisor who asks for clarity in her thinking to be fair in her decisions that they may contribute to beneficial change in individual lives and we pray for good health for her husband Norman in retirement. John Rooney has recently changed to self-employment in the furniture trade to which it takes time to adjust as it does to family life for four helping Ailey with young Owen and Ethan as we note on Sunday mornings. We're grateful to Dr. Todd Still for addressing us today and pray for him in his university contacts here and in his home in Texas. As we gather shortly around your table, Lord, may we quietly ask God what we should be doing to help Bring the reality of God's presence to all the friends and strangers we have mentioned in our prayers, in their so varied needs. We ask it all in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.
1: Is near. In fact, the Lord is here. With us, in us, among us. For we are the body of Christ in this place. The Lord is here, and this is the Lord's table all prepared and ready for us as we recall Christ's body broken for each and all of us the Lord's table where Christ is the unseen host who reaches out his hand in welcome and says whosoever will may come so let us draw near knowing that we are loved and accepted knowing that this is also our table where we may eat and drink it's an old story one we know so well it's an old story that most of us can recite from memory it's an old story recorded by an apostle by the name of Paul it's an old story yet its message is always new (coughs) excuse me On the evening in which he was betrayed, the day before he was executed, (coughs) Jesus gathered with his friends in a borrowed room, a guest room at the top of a flight of stairs. In the gloaming, amidst the flicker of oil lamps, the air heavy with the scent of breaking bread, roasting meat bitter herbs, and warm wine. They took their places. They sang the thongs for God who had stayed close to their ancestors through the long years of slavery and who led them into the freedom of nationhood. They told stories, they prayed prayers, and they savoured the moment. (coughs) Jesus took some bread, he played a familiar blessing, he broke it and he shared it with them and he said something like this, see this? This represents my body, which will be broken? When you eat bread, remember me. And he picked up a cup of wine, prayed a familiar blessing and he shared it with them saying, see this. This represents a new covenant sealed with my blood. When you drink wine, remember me it's an old story one that we know so well it's an old story recorded by an apostle named Paul it's an old story yet its message is always new and it is our story. So let us give our thanks and share in it. We pray together. Lord, you are near in story and song, in sign and in symbol. Thank you for this bread, for this wine, And for all they mean to us. And whether or not we can feel your presence. We dare to believe that you are very near. And that you in fact are with us as we remember once again. Amen. Jesus broke the bread and shared it with his friends. And we, who are his friends, are invited to share in this bread, eating as we receive and to remember. A new covenant or a renewed covenant A covenant that drew in all nations, all people and welcomed them into the love of God which has no beginning and has no end. This is a promise symbolized in the drinking of wine. This is a covenant mysteriously made. In the shedding of Christ's blood. And so we will retain our glasses and drink together. Sign and symbol of our unity. That we together are indeed the body of Christ (coughs) in this place. Called to be his disciples in this world. Scripture tells us that each of us is made in the image and likeness of the invisible God. Scripture tells us that together we are the body of Christ. Let us celebrate that mystery as we drink together and remember. The Lord is near. We have celebrated that reality and we have commemorated that mystery. May we leave this table refreshed and renewed for lives of service. Amen. The Lord is near, before us to lead us, beside us to encourage us, and behind us to catch us. The Lord is near, within us to inspire us, outside us to protect us, beyond us to draw us. The Lord is near and the Lord will accompany us now and always.